important is grass to you? Now, if you're a townie like me, then it's something to be mown. And some people here have immaculate lawns and a source of great pride as a gardener. Others of us here come from a farming background. It's all about herd management, healthy stock. But even if we're a proud gardener or a farmer managing our herd, I'm sure we don't realise how important grass is to us. You see, this humble plant, grass, is responsible for the diet of millions of people around the world. In fact, millions of people would starve if grass was taken away from our diets. Now, I'm not talking about the sheep. When I beef and dairy industry, I'm talking about direct consumption of grass. When I looked up on the internet, on Google, depending where I looked to, it was either 42% to 50% of all of the calories of global humanity eat, 42 to 50%, is grass, not fire, meat or dairy, but grass. Now, do you know what three species I'm referring to of grass that are responsible for 50% of the world's calories? Rice and wheat and the last one, I heard it, corn or maize. Cereals, species of grass are responsible for 50% of our calories. And because this is a learned bunch, because we're not city folk, I've even got a graph. 240 million hectares in wheat. 154 big numbers, aren't they? Of rice and 140 million hectares of maize or corn. Those are big numbers, aren't you, for those farmers amongst us? Big numbers. Now, this dependent on these three cereals, in particular wheat, has been recognised for centuries. And yet in all the millennia of harvesting and grinding and baking bread, there's never been wheat like we're going to see today. It's unique, one of a kind. I think it should be classified as the fourth cereal, wheat, rice, maize and manna. Manna. And this is where we come to in our journey through Exodus. The Israelites are going to be fed by a miracle in the wilderness. The Israelites we saw last week passed through the Red Sea as if it was on dry ground. And what was the first thing that the Israelites did um, when they reached safety? Well, they sung God's praises. And you know what the second thing they did was? They grumbled and they moaned and they groaned and they carried on. And we think, hang a minute, that's not in the script. God's people were rescued to worship, uh, not grumble. So what's happening here? We need to please explain. Well, in simple terms, it's this. You can take a slave out of slavery, but it's very difficult to take the slavery out of a slave. That sense of bondage, that pattern of thinking, those emotional reactions. It can take a long time to take the slavery out of a slave. You see, God's people were free. They are ex-slaves. They are, are slaves no more, bondage no more but they need to learn how to be free, to live like free women and free men. And let's see how this unfolds in Exodus chapter 16. We'll start at verse 1. <coughs> they set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month, 
after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So it's about a month after crossing the Red Sea. They first travelled to a place called Mara, uh, where they complained and moaned because the water was bitter. This is not fit for drink, but God sorted that out. Then they travelled to a place called Elam. Elam, good, clean, fresh water, 12 springs of crystal clear H2O. And if you're familiar with the church scene in New Zealand, you'll know that there's a denomination called Elam, Elam Churches, and that's where they get their name, an oasis. Quite a neat name, really, isn't it? An oasis where God's people can be refreshed and renewed. But they're on their way to Mount Sinai, and they're travelling along, but they're in the desert, and they run out of food. Now, what happens in your household when people are hungry, especially your mums? Judy used to call it the witching hour between five and six o'clock when the meal was getting ready and dad and the kids were moping around. Family gets grumpy, don't they? Get grumpy without food. Let's have a look at, let's have a look at verse two and three. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Goodness me, grumpy, blaming. But there's a few things here. Uh, First, a little aside. uh, Did you notice that for the second time the, the nation of Israel was referred to as a congregation? It's a bit unusual, isn't it? Congregation. What's happening here? Well, it's interesting that the word in the Greek is the same as the word church in the New Testament. And so that word means congregation. And in the Old Testament, it refers to the nation of Israel. In the New Testament and today, it refers to us, the church. And so we are, in many respects, the Israel, the modern-day people of God, as we are being church. That's a bit of an aside there. Uh, The main point, though, is notice how not only God's people are are grumbling, but they're exaggerating in their grumbling. I mean, did these ex-slaves really sit around and eat meat and bread to their full? No, they didn't. They were slaves. They toiled all day and were on a subsistence diet. Strange how when you're tired and grumpy, you can exaggerate exactly what things were like in the past. The other thing we see here is not only the grumbling, but a failure of faith. These were the same people who a month before had seen all the mighty miracles that God had did for them in Israel, even parting the Red Sea, and how quickly they had forgotten that God who did all these miracles could also provide for them in the wilderness. And God would have every right to turn his back on his people. Be say, look, I've saved you, I've done all these miracles for you, and all you do is grumble. If you want to go back to Egypt, we'll be gone. But God doesn't. He's a God of patience, long-suffering, and compassion. He has a plan. He has a plan to take the slavery out of the slaves. We read this plan from verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, 
because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. You see, God knows that it takes a lot to get the slavery out of ex-slaves. And here's a twofold strategy. He will teach his people to do two things. First of all, to trust him and to obey him. And he will give an opportunity every day for them to trust and obey. All this is in a form of a test. God will miraculously provide food, but there are conditions. He is putting them into the school of heaven. Well, let's see how they get on. Uh, Verse 13. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as you can eat. Isn't that wonderful? And so it was a fine, flake-like substance that appeared like frost on the ground, a substance that could be baked into bread that was both nutritious and tasty. However, like frost disappears as the sun grows hot, so the substance disappeared each day. So what did it look like? Well, today the mystery is revealed because one of our floral displays over here shows us. And so you will see, you may not see exactly where you are sitting, but you'll see there that there is some mana on the, on the ground and it's under a bush in the wilderness where they would scrape it up. So afterwards, if you want to know what mana looks like, you come and have a look and you'll see what it is. Mana, what is it, they said. And though there was enough each day, more than enough to go around each day, in fact, they could, they, each person could collect bucketfuls of it, they were instructed not to carry overnight. Now, why was that? Because God was teaching them to trust and obey. I'm giving you food for a day, he says. Collect enough for a day and then trust me for tomorrow. So what happened? Well, everybody went out and collected this lovely fine flour and they made bread and, and various other yummy things. And some collected enough for today, but some, well, they left some for the next day. And do you know what happened to the mana that was left for the next day? Yeah, it was full of maggots and worms and it stunk and it had stench. And what's God doing there? Well, he's teaching his people to trust him and obey a day at a time. He's working the slavery out of his ex-slaves so they could learn to be free. And so there in the wilderness, food miraculously appeared on day one, or on day two, three, four, five, and six. But six was different. Because on six, they were asked to collect twice as much so they could save half for the next day. The next day was the Sabbath, and they were not to go out and collect food on the seventh day. So what happened? They all went out. They all collected a lot of food, and some kept it for the next day. And they found that it didn't have maggots and it didn't stink. They obeyed, trust and obeyed. But somehow, however, They didn't save any, they didn't trust, they went out looking for food and there was none on the seventh day. Trust and obey. Day in, day out. God was giving his people every day an opportunity to trust and obey 
Why? So that the slavery that was locked inside them could be broken and worked out. Now, what is the substance? It's not wheat, it's not rice, it's not maize. So what is it? Verse 31, we read this. Now, the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers and made from honey. Manna was the name given to this miraculous substance. It's based on the Hebrew for the question, what is it? What is it? Because they didn't know. That was their first response when they saw it. And this manna fed God's people in the wilderness travel, not just for the few months or weeks it took to get to Mount Sinai, but for the next 40 years until they reached the promised land. And this heavenly provision, well, it was long remembered after they reached the Jordan River and established themselves in the promised land. They celebrated the provision of manna manna in song and in story for centuries and still do today. And so 500 years after Moses in the book of Psalms, we have this, Psalm 78, 23. Yet he commanded the skies above and opened the doors of heaven and he rained down on them manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Man ate of the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. And Psalm 105, verse 40, they asked and God brought quail and gave them bread from heaven in abundance. Notice the terms used to describe the manna. Grain of heaven, bread of angels, bread from heaven. They were using poetry to express the unique, the unusable, even the undescribable. They were using poetry to describe the miraculous the way that God was teaching them to trust and obey and working the slavery out from amongst them. And all this, all this talk of manna and all this talk of bread from heaven points to the one who would come. See, the Bible, the Old Testament, points to a true and a better Moses who would come after him and feed God's people in the wilderness with miraculous bread, miracle in the desert. So if we fast forward from Moses' day to Jesus' day, some 15 centuries, we see Jesus feeding God's people in the wilderness with bread, miraculous bread. Remember the story. He broke bread and multiplied it. And he fed people. 5,000 of God's people were fed bread miraculously in the desert. And that night... He slipped away and went to the other side of the lake. And the people who had been fed woke up and they wanted more, but they could not find Jesus. So they tracked him down. And we pick up the exchange, the conversation between these people who had been fed in the wilderness and Jesus. We pick this up in, in John in John chapter 6. And so these are the people who had been fed in the wilderness the day before. They've tracked Jesus down. And so we pick up the story in verse 30. So they said to Jesus, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the the manna in the wilderness, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. What they're doing here is they're fishing. I mean, Moses fed God's people in the wilderness, and Jesus has just done exactly the same. And they're thinking, well, is Jesus the one that Moses said would come? Is he the great prophet? Is he the Messiah? So show us a sign, Jesus. Show us a sign that you're greater than Moses and prove you're the one to come. So what will Jesus do? What will he say? Will he perform a miraculous sign to satisfy these people he'd fed in the wilderness? Verse 
Verse 32, then Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives his life to the world. So these people were expecting a sign, and they then got a reply, and they had no idea what Jesus was on about. But they did know that they had got miraculous bread, and they want some more. So in verse 34, we read, And they said, uh, Sir, give us this bread always. They knew when they were on to a good thing. And he said, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Now, we haven't got time to go into the whole conversation, the exchange between Jesus and these people he'd fed in the wilderness. But you can tell, and the, and, the, and the writer John indicates that things get very tense. So tense, in fact, that in verse 41, we read this. So the Jews grumbled about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. Goodness me, God's people, grumbling. Takes a long time to get the slavery out of a slave, doesn't it? 1,500 years and God's people are still grumbling. Anyway, Jesus finishes this encounter with these people that he'd fed in the wilderness miraculously by these words, 48, verse 48. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that the one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And these people had been fed miraculously are highly offended by what Jesus said. So not only do they grumble, but they turn their back on Jesus. They turn their back on Jesus and they walk away, walk away and refuse to be his disciples. And as they walk away, Jesus turns to his disciples and says in uh, John chapter 6, verse 67, So Jesus said to the twelve, Do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And so the twelve stayed. They continued to follow the bread of heaven who gave them the words of eternal life. And of course, so do we. We also follow Jesus, the bread of heaven, who gives us the words of eternal life. I want to tie all this together and then finish off with a take home, just the one take home today. So let, what, what have we looked at this morning? Well, though God's people were rescued to worship, they quickly fell into grumbling, grumbling against the one who rescued them. But not all is lost because God is both patient and kind and he had a plan to extract the slavery out of the ex-slaves. He'll teach his people to trust and obey one day at a time, every day. Trust one day at a time. They would have enough manna for one day, not for the next, until the sixth day when they did. So every day, for over 40 years, God was saying, will you trust me today? Will you trust me for food today? Will you obey me today? And so God was slowly extracting the slave out of his ex-slaves. And then we fast-forwarded 1,500 years to Jesus' day and saw him also feeding people in the wilderness. And this multitude were happy to follow Jesus 
until he claimed to be the bread of heaven and said that they had to eat his body. And they grumbled and fussed and they turned their back on Jesus who had miraculously fed them in the wilderness. And all this talk of being bread from heaven and eating his body, of course, pointed to the way that Jesus would die, giving up his body on the cross. But then also points to the Lord's Supper, which we celebrate to remember what God, what Christ did for us on the Christ. And so we follow Jesus, we follow him with joy, because he is the bread of heaven, the giver of eternal life. So this brings us to our take-home. Just one take-home for today. As God gave the Israelites enough manna for just one day, so God gives you and I grace for just one day at a time. Like manna in the desert, we cannot rely on the grace God gave us yesterday or the day before. We can't go back to that time God answered our prayer in such a wonderful way. We can't even go back to when grace first fell on us and we were overwhelmed with joy at becoming a Christian. We can't live on past experiences of grace. The manna in the desert teaches us that we need grace, God's sustenance, one day at a time. And we can't save it. We can't save the the grace that we receive today for tomorrow or the next day. We can't put it in the bank. We can't give it as inheritance. We come to God and we get grace for the day. And never is this made more clear when life is tough. You know, when we've got financial headaches, (laughs) we come to God one day at a time for his grace to get through the day. Maybe it's relational heartaches. We come to God one day at a time. Maybe it's health issues, physical or mental health, maybe for us or a loved one. And we come one day at a time for God's grace. We may be wrestling with doubts. We may be struggling in our faith walk with God, but we still come to God one day at a time to receive that manna from heaven, that grace. And God's not stingy with his grace. He wasn't stingy with his manna. That manna tasted good (laughs) when it was baked into bread or hotcakes or whatever. It was wonderful, and it kept them going with a spring in their steps for 40 years in the wilderness. It was a supernatural food that kept them going in a supernatural way. And it's same with the grace that we receive. He's not stingy with us. It's not so that we have to drag our feet at the end of the day. He gives us more than enough energy and sustenance when we go to him beginning each day and ask for grace. And you know why he's doing that? Because he's working out of us that feeling, that bondage that we have. You know, even though we know and we sing and rejoice that Christ has set us free, there are parts of us that are in bondage. There are parts of us that are still thinking like a slave. And so God is saying, day at a time, come to me. I will show you my grace and my mercy and my love. And I will work out. I will get rid of. I will extract that sense of slavery and bondage that you still feel. Don't we worship a wonderful God, a God that's patient? That 1,500 years, we could add another couple of thousand years on that since Jesus' day, and there are times when each of us grumble. (laughs) When we grumble, and God could have well rid of us, but he's loving and kind, and he says, trust and obey, day at a time. Ask for my manna, ask for my grace, and you will be abundantly blessed. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you for these stories in the Old Testament and, and that your Holy Spirit makes them come alive to us. And we thank you that Jesus was all the fulfillment of the manna that fell in the desert. He is the bread of life who gives us eternal life. And thank you, Lord, that Jesus has been made real to us. Help us to come to you, Father, seeking enough grace for each day. May we walk with a spring in our step as we lean closer into you. Help us, Lord, to live our utmost for your highest. In Jesus' name, amen.